Well, hello, 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 friends. They Frey here. Mama Bear here to tell some stories of light, power, and difference. We're building on last session, which was talking about systems of care. This whole idea that care is an entangled event. It is something that is shared between the giver, the receiver, the grace that flows between acts of care is a process of reciprocity and trust. And that systems change systems. Individuals reap the benefits of participating in systems of care. But first, I wanted to thank all of my patrons out there. You can find me on the Solar Transfusion at patreon.com and to SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, and beyond. But let's tell you about today's episode. This is all about mutual aid. We're going to first chat about the emergent themes of care. Like, where did care likely emerge from? And what is the significance of something like the promiscuity of care? And then we're going to get down to talking about three fundamental ideas of mutual consent. That would be negotiations of power, transparency of communication, and trust. Then we're going to talk about three key elements of mutual aid. Meeting survival needs, mobilization of people, and building movements. Because you know, movements are participatory in nature. They require collective action. These tactics from the grassroots are the foundation of our firm, Helia Tactics. A quick cautionary note, we will be talking about the AIDS epidemic, and we will be mentioning uh, stories of hardship of trans folks. But with all that said, I think we're going to have a great time together today. So, are you all ready? Yeah? Then let's ride here on the Solar Transfusion. Giddy up. All right, so the idea today is mutual aid. And mutual aid is a, an important topic that has um, risen again in this time of pandemic. But it originally was um, really emphasized and brought to light during the 1980s and the 1990s when I was growing up uh, during the AIDS epidemic. Now, the AIDS epidemic was a pandemic, and frankly, it's still ongoing. It is overlaying the pandemic that we're experiencing now. But in the 90s, it was tracked with stigma associated primarily to gay men. Uh, please remember that at that time, being transgender was not even a visible thing in public media that it was a it was a parody of life is is what it was often portrayed as in the media so a lot of the brunt of the pain of the AIDS epidemic in the media when the media actually paid attention to it was directed at uh, cis men cisgendered men 
who happened to be gay, happened to be homosexual. And that stigma also rolled over into the bisexual community, also affected the lesbian community, and in effect, it created both a, a, a rift in a, in a lot of our different culture across the world, noted personally by me in the United States in the Great Plains area, but the media effectively ignored much of what was HIV AIDS through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and only in the 90s did you start seeing media representation, and even then it was quite stigmatized. Okay, So who helps whom when you have entire populations that are being signaled out for death without medication to treat them? This is before any of the first um, medications had come out in the 90s, or the early late 80s, I should say. But in not paying attention to it, the Reagan administration had done uh, quite a number on the United States queer population by both encouraging the stigmatization of, of HIV AIDS and by dismissing the, the real deaths that were going, ongoing. And anybody who has watched uh, the first, even the first episode of Pose, the Netflix series, has seen that effect and the fear and the horror that was going on. Uh, and that was the first episode of Pose was uh, developed for, I believe, 1987. So it wasn't even the early 80s. Um, and the point was that everyone was afraid of touch. Uh, that touching would confer death. That sitting on a toilet seat that a gay man had sat on was going to somehow be passed on to you as AIDS and that you would die. Kissing? Yep. Death. Sex? Death. Right? Not pretty. Not fun. I mean, yes, the transmission of fluids can lead to the transmission of the HIV virus to a partner. But what a way to live. What a fear to have hanging over our heads. That touch, kind of one of the very fundamental things to raise serotonin levels, to provide support, to provide aid. That, that, that touch was seen as toxic, as to be avoided, right? It certainly had an effect on me. I, I, again, speaking just as a young person going through my teens, my puberty and, and, and growing up, it was terrifying to identify with being queer, let alone being transgender in that time. I've since spoken with um, scholars, who track the history of, of queer life in the 80s and 90s and, and beyond. And that time period 
is really looked at as a time of, of you know, complete loss of transgender archive of our stories. Because although it was horrible for um, cisgendered gay men at the time, truly devastating, it ultimately was responsible for the total death of almost all transgender people who would now be my age or older. There are very few people in uh, the queer community who were actively out um, in the 80s and still alive now. And, And that's terrifying and it's lonely, but it also created a rift in in our stories, it erased a lot of trans history that we're only discovering now, that, that we're trying to rebuild, regenerate, right? But to be in hospitals where entire wings were devoted to people with HIV AIDS and who were stigmatized and, and who were, you know, left food outside the door, and even though they were immobile in their beds, right? It's a lot. And so what was the response to this? What was the response? What is a way to move forward systemically? What is a system of care that emerged? And can we learn from that from our pandemic right now? And one of the things that emerged were coalitions, some of them uh, led by uh, bisexual women. Let's give some visibility to bisexual people, please. And some were led by queer people in general who had to do something in the meantime. You have to live your life in the meantime. And so you develop systems of care, systems of survival. And, and when you recognize that we're talking about survival for a lot of these things, then that's where this idea of mutual aid comes in. And so let me pause there. I'm going to go get uh, some reading uh, that I'd like to share with you. One of the things that I relayed to you last session is that I'm out of Penn State. I'm no longer there. Goodbye. Thank you for the hard times. And hello, Heliotactics. What is Heliotactics, do you say? Well, Heliotactics is our new consulting firm. We're specializing in helping your renewable energy firm in issues of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, otherwise known as Jedi training. (laughs) Heliotactics is your consulting firm for a great employee experience for redefining your community culture as a renewable energy company in a competitive new space. Call us up. We'll help you to identify your blind spots and how you're presenting your firm. And, you know, with over 13 years of experience, our team of two amazing facilitators is ready to cater to your needs and to bring a competitive edge to your company culture. Helia Tactics books that can be gathered together, the first of which is The Care Manifesto 
The Politics of Interdependence by The Care Collective. Uh, and that is published by Verso Books. You know, the thing that sticks out is a statement here. Care has been devalued due in large part to its association with women, the feminine, and what has been seen as the unproductive caring professions. You know, wow, that's, that's heavy. What would happen if we were to begin instead to put care at the very center of life? Which, again, is, is talking about embracing interdependence. And notice, I'm not saying, uh, and we will have no business, no financial ties to each other, no relationships beyond care. No, it, it in fact is centering care, centering the system of care in a way that it, it really does guide our lives. And in my case, because this is the solar transfusion, we center on stories at the margin Stories of light, power, and difference. That's why I'm, I'm bringing up these particular stories. All right, here we go. So in this book, uh, The Care Manifesto, Chapter 2, Caring Kinships, this is talking about those webs of care that Hill Malatino has mentioned before in their book, uh, Trans Care. If it's unfamiliar to you, I'd ask you to suspend your disbelief for a moment because some of the solutions to our future could very well come from the margins. And wouldn't that be helpful to have an open ear about it to effect change? One of the things that uh, this book puts forward is an ethics of promiscuous care. The idea of kinship and care, of relationships and family that are developed and strengthened beyond the nuclear family, that we've uh, embraced strongly in the U.S. and Canada and the Western world and the global north in general. The families of choice, the families that you choose, your chosen family are, are kind of key. No, they're not kind of key. They are key to survival in, in queer communities. So what we have now, an essay that was developed by the, the group ACT UP. So ACT UP was an activist group back in the day, and Douglas Crimp composed an essay, How to Have Promiscuity in an Epidemic, right? And again, remember, we were in a culture where touch was presented as something that would kill you. The media promoted a lot of fear in this space. And in this case, the essay, Promiscuity of Care, right, was responding or reclaiming the idea of promiscuity and here crimp and I'll, now i'll begin uh quoting this that uh crimp wrote that some gay leaders insist that our promiscuity will destroy us when in fact it is our promiscuity that will save us crimp uses the concept not in the sense of casual or indifferent but in that of multiplying and experimenting with the ways gay men were intimate with and cared for each other. You think of the shame that goes around by not talking about human sexuality, 
by talking about the acts of sex, the acts of compassion and power relationships that are engaged in with sex, it's pretty important to know about. And you know what is central to the vast majority of queer community is consent, mutual consent. And in discussing mutual consent in the very beginning of what would be a very intimate experience, mutual consent allows for negotiations of power. It allows for transparency of communication. It allows for trust. And that's weird because those things sound a lot like care, right? And if you go back to the discussion last session, care was a systemic phenomenon. Both the giving and the gratitude the receiving. It's the grace in between. And so the idea about caring promiscuously, oh gosh, I love that. I think a lot about care and I think a lot about support systems of care, and I think about doing the right thing, staying centered, especially during a pandemic, during the winter time when the light is low, when the nights are long. And that ties us back to Mutual Aid. So Mutual Aid was the book that has been uh, on a lot of people's reading list, and it's by Dean Spade. And Mutual Aid Projects have certain characteristics to them, and, and that's what I wanted to bring forward here. So, three big things. Three key elements of mutual aid. One, mutual aid projects work to meet survival needs and to build shared understanding about why people do not have what they need. Meeting survival needs, building shared understanding, that sounds like reciprocity and trust, and getting to the core of why people do not have what they need. That's where mutual aid is coming in. Two, mutual aid projects mobilize people, they expand solidarity, and they build movements. In last session, I said, uh, people don't change systems. Systems change systems. Mutual aid is a motivator. It is a, a systemic tool. It mobilizes people collectively. It expands solidarity. Solidarity, of course, is, you know, sharing values, beliefs, and principles, and it builds movements, and movements are those systems. Systems to change systems. And now I'm quoting from Spade. Mutual aid exposes the failures of the current system and shows us an alternative. Ooh, ooh, momentary, pause. Solidarity is what builds and connects large-scale movements. Remember that systems change systems? Solidarity across issues and populations is what makes movements big and powerful. So if we want change in the energy world, if we want change through solar energy, if we want change in the way that people work with energy, the way that engineers work with energy, we're gonna to need to find solidarity across multiple issues and across different demographics by creating spaces where people come together on the basis of some shared need or concern in spite of their differences or in spite of their different lived experience, that cultivates solidarity. 
So third, mutual aid projects are participatory, solving problems through collective action rather than waiting for saviors. Here's the great thing about mutual aid. You can be a nobody in society's view, let's say, and you can participate and you can be a part of a mutual aid system and you can feel the gratitude, the grace of being a part of something that matters, both to you and through solidarity to many other people. Mutual aid. If solidarity is what builds and connects large-scale movements and the mutual aid projects themselves are participatory, the solutions happen through collective action. They come through tactics from the ground up. An essential part of what Heliotactics does. We facilitate collective action. We facilitate alignment of large groups of people around beliefs, values, and principles. And we develop systems-based purpose statements that then guide us to develop regenerative solutions for your engineering firm, for your energy firm. And we have had a track record of doing that here in State College, in the state of Pennsylvania, with Penn State University. I wouldn't do it if it didn't work, you know? So this, this kind of is why I'm conveying to you these excerpts from these books on mutual aid and on care, is because they have functionally worked with communities to enact change, systems changing systems. And in my case, I spent a good six years working with the seven different municipalities of the State College area and working with the university, the Office of the Physical Plant at, at Penn State, to both develop and to expedite solar power at the municipal uh, wastewater treatment plant and to develop the first solar farm on Penn State's campus that covered two acres right behind our community's hospital. And ultimately that led to a statewide policy and planning change that was through uh, the Department of Environmental Protection of Pennsylvania, joint with the Department of Energy's Sunshine Program, of course, called Finding Pennsylvania Solar Future. And in turn, this process of care, listening, systems of care, systems changing systems, grassroots tactics developed from the ground up through stories, through trust and reciprocity, that ultimately led to a 500-acre solar farm that was developed by LightSource BP, a large solar energy firm for which Penn State became the sole off-taker, and it provides Penn State with 25% of the entire Penn State University system's electricity. Pretty proud of that one, and for the way that we did it. So what I'm reading to you is interesting for me in that they are words that someone else has written. They happen to be words that people who have grown up queer and trans have written, and yet they are the same systems, the same workable solutions that I have used on the ground with non-queer communities, with people who were just looking for a solution, looking for a way to stay independent in their rural community, a way to be able to pass on their land from one generation to the next, a way to have some idea that there will be a future moving forward as coal and natural gas even are beginning to 
see their way out of Pennsylvania, you know? So here's a big one, right? When I'm talking about mutual aid, mutual aid is not help. If, if I were to use help in that sense of the word like charity, okay? Queer community does not support queer community for charity. It's just, it, it's a ridiculous statement. We are there for us, trans for trans, T for T. We are there for our community because of us, because of the intense joy that comes with being a part of a system that is there to lift all of us up. That's not charity. That's solidarity. And in Dean Spade's book, that's the title of chapter two, Solidarity, Not Charity. Mutual aid is not charity, to quote. Charity, aid, relief, and social services are terms that usually refer to rich people or the government making decisions about the provision of some kind of support to poor people. That is, rich people or the government deciding who gets the help, what the limits are to that help, and what strings are attached, end quote. Charity, not solidarity, right? I love that. That, that would connect with the vast majority of, of municipalities that I visit that I have worked with in the past in rural, suburban, and urban scenarios. Solidarity is about being transparent of that power differential. It's not removing the differences of power. It's not the power differentials that are bad, right? It's that we shed light upon those differences and we are transparent that they exist. And we're looking for reconciliation among those power differentials. Not to make everything equal. That's not what moves systems. Systems have purpose. Systems have gradients of power flowing from one to the next. The solutions are emerging from numbers of people working together, working jointly with joint intention, you're getting group agency, groups of people moving forward through collective action. Yeah, you get mutual aid from people participating, from people being motivated by similar beliefs, values, and principles, even though they are across different demographics, and you work to meet survival needs. Wow, you know, if you're working at the needs, the survival needs, boy, that really puts things into place, doesn't it? Working to survive versus working to be on the leading edge of something. Say, like, I, I remember when uh, we would occasionally go on long journeys to the mountains of Montana and go hiking in the Rocky Mountains. And oftentimes these were retreats, and you know, this is one of those things, and, and, and if you've been hiking, maybe you've heard this uh, type of idea, which is like, only go as fast as the slowest person. You're there in a hike with the slowest person, and it's not a race. The hike is not a race. When you're going off on a hike, you're going to have that person who has a new pair of boots, who develops a blister within the first hour. You're going to have the person who has asthma on a path in the woods <laughs> among bears and everything else. And it's scary. 
there are mental and emotional challenges that go through hiking. But you go hiking, you go as fast as the slowest person. And in this case, in the idea of mutual aid, there's the survival. That's your slowest person in the team. Where do you have solidarity with that person? Given that it's not a race. Given that all sides of your community have margins, have aspects of oppression that are paradoxically overlaid with enormous privilege. There's always going to be a paradox of oppression and privilege in us as individuals. I have it. You have it. So how do you turn that around and not look at disability or difference or uniqueness as a negative, but you look at it as what matters, differences that matter to you, to your community, in your place. It's what makes you unique. You either care about the margins and you are able to adapt to the changes of the times and the pandemics and the overwhelming shifts in politics and, and in monetary scenarios, or you remain to your core brittle, not malleable. You become a higher risk community because the foundations of sustainability of resilience are tied to difference, friends. They're tied to the differences. And so I'm, I'm going to ask you to think about that when you think about systems of care because systems change systems and because care is fundamentally a reciprocal act. It is a building block of reciprocity and trust. It is a building block of mutual aid. And mutual aid is what allows us to engage with our communities, especially at the margins, especially where... We need to build resilience for climates changed, for this pandemic and potentially for the next. We want to be resilient. We want to be intentional. And we want to work jointly towards our solutions. And I'll be here with you next time on the Solar Transfusion. So important shout out to our wonderful musicians who have allowed us permission to use their music. First off, special thanks to Rick Hirsch and Rick Hirsch's Big Old Bang for our theme song, Giddy Up. Second, we would love, love, love to thank our new friends, People With Bodies, a trans non-binary band from Reno, Nevada that we heard about from our listserv on Gadio from their album, Field Notes. Phil, you're it, friend. I hope we're doing you right. So glad to be out there lifting up your music into this environment. This is your host, Mama Bear here. They Frey, wishing you a wonderful weekend and much love. All right. Have a good one.